generate is supporting my vision to improve the financial literacy of 100,000 Kiwis by sponsoring Keep the Change. Cheers, Generate. Head to generatekiwisaver.co.nz forward slash change to find out more. Getting in the KiwiSaver fund that suits you and your situation is key to making sure you're maximising your investment. Generate are an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of long-term performance and they can help you do exactly this. Their advisors can meet with you to talk about all your options when it comes to KiwiSaver to help you decide what's best for you. Too many people never get KiwiSaver advice, but not you. Go to generatekiwisaver.co.nz forward slash change to book a no-obligation chat with a Generate advisor. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited. And of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome back. You are listening to another episode of the Keep the Change podcast. And today we've got a very special guest joining us, Linda Moore. Good to see you and thank you for saying yes to coming on the podcast. Oh, look, it's my absolute pleasure. This is going to be fun. Just (laughs) send you a random email one day saying, hi, Linda, uh, I'm Luke. Do you want to come on the podcast? Did you think like, what what the hell? Who is this guy? Um, I kind of did, but when it was an opportunity to talk about money and relationships and all that sort of thing, it was a no-brainer to say yes. Outstanding. Well, we'll get to how that came about in a bit. Uh, but firstly, so you were a chartered accountant, much like I am uh, I these days. Yes. Yeah, sort of started yeah. in the same sort of realm or area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many, yep. many moons ago. Yeah. yeah. And do you yeah. want to tell people what you do these days? Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so I was a CA for a very long time. And I guess um, I love numbers. They tell a story. And I guess you feel the same thing. You know, you look at the profit and loss and balance sheet and I got really excited. What I didn't get very excited about was all the compliance and tax and that sort of side of it. Then I started started to notice that things would happen to clients and all of a sudden all of this amazing work we're doing as accountants it just didn't matter um, because things just started to happen in life and it didn't matter what I said or how I helped it just didn't make any difference and then when my own marriage imploded I reacted exactly the same way as my clients did and I went oh that's interesting. There's more to this money stuff than just balance sheets, budgets, and profit and loss. And that was kind of the start of the journey of exploration into what's going on that led me down the money psychology path. Because when my marriage imploded and my life imploded, I was $600,000 in debt. Wow. Now, you can imagine as an accountant, we're supposed to be the experts. Mm. We're supposed to know this money stuff. So how did I get into that much mess when I'm supposedly an inverted commas the expert um, and so I went searching for some answers and uh, I <laughs> I stalked David Kruger who is now my mentor on LinkedIn yeah. uh, he wrote a book called The Secret Language of Money and when I read that it was like that's it it's not about numbers it's about your head yeah wow and so it was like okay go back to university study psychology work with David get out of the pure accounting world and move into this really exciting space about helping individuals and couples understand what's going on in our head. Why do we do what we do? How can we do it better? It's almost like I'm looking further into my future because (laughs) (laughs) often I say to people, I say, because I did four years at uni to become a chartered accountant, right? Right. 
and you do business degree in three mm-hmm. and I could probably I probably had the skill set to probably do it in about 18 months like yes. if I if you're allowed to do that and if I could have applied myself and like yeah. looking back on that four years now with what I know I wish that I was able to do business and psychology mm, yeah and yeah I the same thing will be working with clients and some clients will take heaps of action and do things and other yep. clients I just think why won't you do this yes but yeah. but it's just not that simple for no. them there's something that they have to see first or someone yep. they have to speak to or something they have to unlock up here mm-hmm. and it can be as plain as the numbers or as black and white to, yeah. to do the exact thing they need to do but it might be 18 months till they actually go away and do it yes if they do it at all yeah 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 so for me it was very much a journey because you know I mean as, as an accountant being in that level of debt I mean it was the best kept secret I I didn't nobody knew my my business was still functioning really well I looked after my clients beautifully it was just me that was in the absolute mess yeah. um, and it took about 18 months before I finally had a actually a major meltdown in a restaurant with a client and um, kind of got marched outside and sat down and it was like what the hell is going on with you, Linda? And it just all kind of came out. And that was when I started to take some action. But it was still like, well, what started this process? How did Mm. I get to this? What do I need to learn? And uh, so that's where I I actually, before I could become a coach uh, under David, I actually had to work with him. So I became a client first. So I had to unpack all of my own money journey and all of my own money stories, my beliefs, everything – before I could be trained to be a coach. So when I now talk to clients, it's like, I have been in your shoes because I've done what I'm now helping you do. And the scariest thing that I found out through this process is we all have this little inner child going on. And I have a little four-year-old Linda who likes to play and likes to have fun and likes to spend money. She was running my finances. So as a 40-year-old running an accounting practice with a team and with business, Mm. four-year-old Linda was in charge and she did not do a very good job. So first thing I had to do was fire her as the CEO and the CFO and put accountant adult Linda, in charge. Yeah. She's now in charge of social outings, parties, and holidays. She does a brilliant job. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's effectively your relationship with money that you're describing yes. in, in some regards. Yeah. yeah. So mm. I've missed at the start, but basically, so now you're a money mentalist. Is that the correct terminology? That's what I call myself, okay. a money mentalist. Yeah. Technically, I'm a money mentor coach. Yeah. Okay. So that helps me delve into the, the psychology and, of course, I still can do numbers because of the accounting side. So I combine both bits. Yeah. Uh, what's going on in your numbers? What's going on in your head? So if, if you don't mind me asking yeah. about your situation mm. and your journey and when you went on that to discover what was happening for you and how mm. you were making some of these decisions, now being able to look back at those times, like what what did you find or what did you spot? Uh, well, I think it really was the the big thing was who's actually in charge and why was I making those decisions and why was I continually repeating to make those decisions? Mm. So part of it came down to my money personality. I am naturally a spender. I enjoy spending money, um, but it was just out of control. And it was out of control because I had a belief process that went, I'm an only child. So only children, we're spoiled. We get whatever we want, whenever we want. And as I became an adult, I added on to that whether I could afford it or not because credit enabled me to do it. So I just got into this pattern of behavior. Um, I would impulse buy a car. Wow. 
It was a really nice car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much are we talking here? Um, it was about 56000 It was an Alfa Romeo convertible. Yeah. Okay. I wanted it because I was going away for Easter and I drove past it on the lot and I drove in and I said, can I have that? And within, I said, I need it by Easter, traded it in my old car and I drove off in it. Far out. That yeah. was probably the biggest impulse buy I've ever done. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I only really got to, um, <laughs> I got to Lazy Boys, King Size Beds. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get to, well, to Alfa Romeo convertible. So, <laughs> shit. I like it. Good on you. But did you, not, not good on you, sorry. Um, so, is that because you had the earning capability to do that effectively? And so then you would go on the lot and, like using simple logic here, you're basically like, can I have that? They would say yes, and you would go, sweet, well, yeah. then I'll do it. Um, in some ways, well, yes, I did, because I obviously approved the finance. Yeah. But it wasn't just the car I was buying. It was just generally other spending uh, that was going on in life. Yeah. So, And it wasn't that I had a, a huge, big lifestyle, but I had a daughter who's also an only child, and I made this deal with her that I would support her through university. So I was supporting her so she didn't get a student loan. So there was quite a bit of money going to her yeah. to support her and her lifestyle and flatting in Wellington and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it was just a combination of everything that I was doing was culminating in this. I was I basically I was overspending. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when I actually had the the shock to the system and looked at my numbers, um, I was spending a dollar seventeen for every dollar that I was earning. Wow. And how does one figure out what they're spending compared to what they're earning to do that calculation? Be an accountant and just pull out lots of spreadsheets. And yeah, uh, yeah I just, I, it was a Saturday and I remember I sat at the kitchen table and I'm going, you know, I've got to do, there's something fundamentally wrong here. Mm. So I went back to the core and, and numbers tell a story. Yeah. And when I really started to drill into the numbers and analysed everything going through my business, everything going through my personal account and pulled it all together and compared it to my income, it was incredibly obvious what was going wrong. I was overspending. So my, my poor daughter got the phone call, Amy, really sorry, you've got to go and find a job because I can't support you anymore at university. Yeah. And I just, you know, you have to make the decisions, but you've got to get to the point where you can see what's happening. Yeah. And I didn't know it then, but I know it now. There's the term for that is what we call financial anxiety. And I was so far into the mire of financial anxiety, I actually didn't know what to do or how to get myself out of it yeah. um, until you know uh, a very nice client of mine basically gave me a boot up the back end and said, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So financial anxiety, is that we're trying to avoid getting all of the data because we loosely know, like we're scared of what we're going to find? Is uh, well, that... yeah, financial anxiety is, um, it's like kind of ordinary anxiety. So what happens is we get stressed. It's that, you know, you wake up at two o'clock in the morning worried about paying the bills mm. or just worrying mm. about money in general. That's the first sign that you've got some financial anxiety that going on. And when we get into that state, um, Rational thinking goes out of the window. We're running purely on emotions. And instead of being able to see the big picture, our, our view of the world narrows so much that we can't see, necessarily see a way out of it. We can't see further than our nose. We can't see two years. You know, we, yeah. we just get into the cycle of consuming worry and anxiety. And we respond, people respond to it in different ways. Some people go into denial and they just don't look. 
because they're scared. Um, others go into hyperdrive and will look at absolutely everything but not know what to do with it. And others will go into the blame game. So if you get the angry client in your office going, oh, it's the government, it's the IRD, yeah. there's probably an element of you know, financial anxiety going on there where they just don't want to take responsibility themselves so they'll throw it out to everybody else. Oh, that's a controversial one because it I is, think a lot of people it? right now are probably feeling exactly like that with yes. the cost of living and things like exactly. that, right? Exactly, yeah. I do almost feel like we're being divided into two camps. It's either like the government's fault or it's not and yep. then you sort of choose your path and you go, you know, yes. you go from there. But yeah, I think I came to a conclusion at some stage in my life that no matter whether that shit was true or not, like whose fault it was that it didn't really matter because I lived like that for a number of years and tried mm. to pin it off somewhere yeah. else, but my life didn't really get better. Yeah. And so I eventually sort of came to the conclusion of, well, why don't I just try and tidy up some of the things that I know deep down are they're my fault? Yeah. And that's then right. my life started getting better yeah. financially and with a number of things because I just had less mess to clean up anymore. And then yeah. I had this sudden feeling of, like, man, all of those things I used to. Um, think I wasn't in control of, I kind of am now. Yeah. Or, yeah. or some things I just completely am not, but at least I can still do the pieces on the fringe. Yeah, and, and that's the most important thing is only worry about what you can control. Mm. I mean, you know, we can't control the weather. We can't control what's going on in the US, but we can control what goes through our own bank account. Yeah. And we yeah. can look at that and we can make decisions around that. Um, I think we have probably a lot more control than we actually really think that we have. And, you know, and it's easy, you know, it's all about the locus of control, whether you blame externally all of those other things or whether you're prepared to take responsibility for your own actions. Mm. So I had to take responsibility for my own actions. I had to look really hard at myself and go, what, did, what have I done that's created this situation? What have I done? And it was very clear I'd over, I was overspending. Yeah, simple you know, as that. It was a yeah. sim it was and there was a whole lot of, you know, psychology stuff going on, beliefs and all that that I had to unpack to, to get to the point where I could even look at those numbers. Mm. Yeah. Were some yeah. of those things for you and for the people you work with, are they learnt behaviours from um, upbringing and things like that, yeah. massive part of it? Yeah. Or? yeah, because, I mean, that's how we learn, isn't it? First of all, it's from our family environment. Yeah. So if you come into, if you're born into a family where they're really good money managers, mm. then you kind of can absorb that. And and this is what really scares me is that, you know, the, and this question that's just come up recently about financial literacy, teaching mm. it in schools. It's like, well, whose job is it? Yeah. There's so many parents now who are struggling to manage their own money. How can they teach their children? So now we're going to rely on the education system and teachers who might be struggling with managing their own money to now start teaching children. So it's it's really hard. So yes, your environment is incredibly important. That's where we get that first grounding in all of our beliefs, not yeah. just money, but absolutely everything. And then as we grow and we meet people, we either reinforce those beliefs or we change them. But the thing with beliefs about money is we bury them really deeply. So if you think about uh, some beliefs, like, for example, again, using the US, gun control, people stand very loudly and proudly and yell which side of that belief that they're on. I don't know that you've ever sat and had a cup of coffee with someone and said, so what do you believe about money? Mm. Because we just don't do it. We bury it. Same as self-esteem, self-image, all of that. Money is one of those ones that's buried very deeply. And we don't tend to examine it unless something happens that can force us to look at it. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Like, what's going on there? Why have we made money so emotional? 
Um, because it's been taboo for a very long time. Um, I mean, if you look back in history, it's never really been talked about, certainly not in our Western culture anyway. Yeah. You know, we just don't talk about it. Uh, again, if you look at the scenario, you go to a barbecue and you might, you'll talk about high house prices and you'll talk about the prices of petrol. But would you actually ask someone, oh, so what's your mortgage? Yeah, probably How much not. do you earn? Mm. Like my closest girlfriend who I've known for 30 years – I still, we have never ever had the discussion about how much income we earn. We're both, we're both accountants, we're both in practice, we talk about charge out rates, we talk about productivity, da 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 da. But never ever did we say, this is how much comes into my bank account. Yeah. So there's just things that you just don't talk about, and money, sadly, is one of them. Yeah. Is that just something we've gotten wrong, maybe? Like, I think so. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and I, I see that. I thought it was changing. I thought it was just, like, my generation. Mm. But even talking to – so my daughter's now 34, and she's saying even amongst some of her friends, you know, they're getting engaged, and they still haven't had the money conversation. Shit. They still haven't joined bank accounts. They still don't exactly know how much each other earn. Yeah. And I'm going – that's scary. Mm. I, I had hoped that, you know, the next generation down might be a little bit different. Mm. It's funny when you talk about that before, I can um, recall a time where someone showed me how much money they had in a bank account yeah. and I wasn't as money mature as I would like to think I am now. And yeah. I think my reaction was kind of like, what the fuck, mate? Like, who do you think you are? Why are you, like, yes. who does that? Who yeah. shows? And they were like, oh, it's pretty cool, eh? And I was sort of like, oh, yeah, good on you. But but yeah. thinking, what a dick. Yeah. But mm. now, if someone did that, I'd be like, mean. You know, like, how'd you do that? What's the story? Like, what yeah. have you been doing? Yeah. And I'd be really interested in it. So I think you almost have to go through, like, I must have had to unlearn some of the things that I yes. had in me or mm. my own beliefs to think that person was a dick and why would they show you mm -hmm. that and who does that and to now be very interested in yeah. how they might have done that or, you know, yeah. um, those sorts of things. So. I think, do, do you think that maybe everybody's probably got a change in them that they can have oh, around yes, money? Yeah, definitely. Because there's always, there's always a set of kind of core beliefs that we have around money. And once you realize what that is, you can then make a decision whether or not you want to change it. So um, just for an example, uh, a very, very common one is that, you know, rich people aren't nice. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if I become wealthy, I'm going to become not nice yeah. and my friends won't like me anymore. And as soon as you start to unpack that and go, does that actually make sense to you? Do yeah. you really think that you're suddenly going to turn into Donald Trump just because you charge more in your business? And they kind of look at me and go, what do you mean? I said, well, that's what you've just told me. You think that you can't be a nice person and be wealthy. And when you go, well, that's ridiculous. And I actually had this conversation uh, with one of my coaching clients. So the next day she went onto her website and doubled all of her prices. Wow. Yeah. And she's continued to increase and double. And I think over the 10 years that we've kind of known each other and been working together, she's probably more than tripled her pricing. Far out. Yeah, you've really got to change who you are as a person you to be able to, to do yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah. really have to go, actually, and she's going – I'm much nicer now that I've got the money because I can start to do the things I want to do, mm. which is help other people who don't have money. Yeah. So you've just got to look at what the core beliefs are and then challenge them. There's yeah. so many sayings around money that I find, yeah, when you start thinking about them, you you wonder, what does that even mean? As an example, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to get on the property ladder. And oh, then I said yes. to someone 
where does the letter go? Yeah. And no one, <laughs> no one knows. Like I had to Google and figure out where did that saying even come from? Yeah. Um, you know, the um, money is the root of all evil. Yes. You know, yeah. I, so I, I grew up like hearing that and seeing yeah. it in the media mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But one thing that I heard that was really helpful for me was basically money is a tool, nothing more, yes. nothing less. Like it, you decide from there yes. what you're going to do with it, whether yeah. you put heaps of emotion on it and things like that. And sometimes I see people arguing and there's just like it's never ending of um you know john key is really wealthy so that's great he'd be a successful prime minister yeah um because he's been there and he's done it but then it's like no because he you know do you know how he got his money and like all of these things and then i see a graph where new zealand's actually one of the richest countries in the world and you think (laughs) imagine if some of those other countries could look down on some of the stupid conversations that we're having about money and be like put you all on mute and then put a loudspeaker and go, excuse me, do you want to change places? Yeah. You would be like, whoa, well, who are you? What the, and they would say, this is like, here's a window into my life. Yeah. And you would go, fuck no, do I want to go and change lives with you? Yeah, exactly. We actually have an ability in this country to make probably more money than we realize all these different types of things as well. But it's just like, We've tried to – well, a lot of people are just so trapped in the thinking that that's not even possible. Yes. Um, and for a lot of people, like, hey, it's not going to be as easy as it is for, for other people, and I acknowledge that. But there's got to be individual wins that if we understand more about what is creating all of this angst for us around money and how we've given it so much emotion that if you can unpack that, your life will be so much better – and you end up on a different path and you realize like how much of my life did I waste like arguing with people, trying to validate these stupid Mm -hmm. sayings that I learned when I was growing up that I have no idea where they came from. Yeah, exactly. And and this is the whole thing because we all have stories and we are incredible writers when it comes to money. Mm. The stories we create are around different things that we've seen or heard that have happened in our life. Um, And again, for children, this is even more scary because they can hear a tiny little half a sentence and that half a sentence can then become a really strong belief that they take into adulthood. Yeah. Because I've seen that, you know, I've seen that happen with clients that I've worked with. So it's it's really interesting. But, you know, again, it comes down to our parents. You know, like my parents kind of bucked the system a little bit because mum was the money manager. She always looked after the money. Dad always got pocket money every week. Mm. Um, and, you know, he, he passed away in March. But even up until then, every week mum still gave him his pocket money. And he only ever got a pay rise when his glass of wine at the RSA increased in price. Wow. Because yeah. he was a spender. Yeah. And so he realised that and said to mum, well, you need to look after this. You need to be in charge, which for their generation... That would have been was kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, it would have been like he would have had really swallow his pride to do that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think they actually told anybody really yeah. so much because he always had money. Yeah. It was always done very quietly, um, you know. So yes, yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's just interesting how we pick up and learn things mm. from our generations. And and the other thing too is most of us are only two or three generations back from grandparents, great-grandparents who went through a depression. Yeah. So if you go through something like a depression and a war where frugalism and lack is all around you, that's a big one to unlearn. Yeah. It really is a big one to unlearn. I yeah. actually use that sometimes where I think about my own grandfathers and think, like, would they be proud of the decisions that I'm making? Yeah. Or um, would they want to trade places? Or yes. would they be like... 
smack in the face because you're allowed to hit people back in those days. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm right. the grandson, so they're yeah. going to give me a whack around the ears and they would be like, pull your head in. Yes. Like go and access your potential, go and, you know, these yeah. things weren't available to us. But then we get caught up in our own upbringing and stuff and then we're just, we just think that this is what the world's always been like. Yeah. When really like there's probably not much excuse for a lot of Kiwis that have got some talent and stuff to be making money online yeah. um, or finding a second stream of income or unlearning things that they that aren't serving them well yeah. when it comes to their money yeah. uh, or finding somebody who's way ahead on the path in them and going, well, how have they done it? I could learn from them. Like there's, We've got – our grandparents would laugh at us at the whinging we do, I think, with some of the things we yes. are – the access that we have now that they didn't have, they yeah. would be mind-blowing. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because, uh, again, you know, uh, I'm very fortunate. My grandmother was in her 90s. So, you know, she's been through quite a lot. And, and I love sitting talking with her. And she'd go, this whole, this credit stuff, you know, I don't get this credit thing. Yeah. Because, you know, we had we had envelopes and your grandfather would come home and he'd give me money and we'd divvy it all up. And he'd always take his drinking money first because that was how it was. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of it would go into envelopes. And if it got to the end, the fun one was always the last one. And if there was nothing left, we didn't have fun. Yeah. And and if we ran out of money in the food account and we still had five days to go, we just had to eat what was in the pantry. Wow. And she's going, you know, and she'd walk into my pantry and go, Linda, do you really need all of this food? Because, sorry, this is the accountant. Mm. I had a full inventory management system going on <laughs> in my pantry. Yeah. You know, And so it was like, hang on a minute. And I literally was able to stop buying groceries for about four weeks and I still didn't get through the freezer in the pantry. Wow. Yeah. Because we just over, you know, we have that sort of, we need all of this stuff because I might want to make something and I'm going to need those seven spices. Mm. So we buy the seven spices and we just sit them there or, you know, and, and all of those sorts of things. And she would, we had some great conversations. You know, she'd absolutely laugh about some of the things that, that I would do. Yeah. But it was also really interesting because we also have these things called non-negotiables. So these are the things that are really important to us. And don't you try and, you know, tell me to stop doing something that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. And I heard her and mum talking one day. So even in the 90s, she would still go to the hairdressers every week to have her hair done. She used to be a model back in the 30s. So, you know, that was really important to her. And mum sat there and said, oh, what a waste of money, you know, going to the hairdressers every week. And I sat there and I wondered, and my grandmother just gave her the stare, you know, it was yeah. like, don't you go there, you know. Yeah. But for mum, that was something that was totally unimportant. But for my grandmother... That was hugely important, even in her 90s, that her hair looked good. Yeah. So we have those things. And again, you'll notice you'll, you'll hit a nerve when you're talking to someone if you hit a non-negotiable because you get the death stare. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can think of my own and I can probably think <laughs> of my partner's. <laughs> um, your grandmother would be horrified by the have fun now, pay later uh, type thing oh, going yes, on out yes. there. I want to ask you something that you mentioned earlier. You said about your money personality. Now, I went on your website ah, and yes. I did. I uh, saw that come through. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, you'll know what mine is then. Yeah, yeah. I actually didn't have time to look at the oh, results. Okay. So, yeah. Do you yeah. want to guess? I'm guessing you'll be an Amasa. <laughs> yeah, well done. Are yeah. there five, are there? There's five, yes. Okay. So yeah. an Amasa for those uh, listening and watching is money, 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 the more you have, the happier you are. You like the freedom of deciding whether to spend, save, or invest it. Money is important to your self-worth. You may not feel um, fully alive unless you're working hard to amass more and see your portfolio growing in, in, uh, in bold, constantly. <laughs> this preoccupation may be keeping you from fully enjoying your life and your close relationships in the moment. And 
yeah, money equals prestige, power, and success to you, maybe even self-worth. And I think that for me, like when I got that, of course it, it resonates. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I'm like, oh, that sounds good, but also can be dangerous because yes, I can. even like, I even say to people that I don't, uh, I'm massive on tracking your net worth, which makes sense. The amass, yep. is it increasing? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, are your assets and uh, becoming larger each month? That sort of thing. Then we know that sometimes they dip and whatnot, but over time. Yeah. So I'm like keeping an eye on that and I say people should do that. It's a great concept to do. But I also say that I don't think your self-worth is tied up in what that, no. that sum is. Yeah. So I'm smart enough to have enough awareness that that's yes. not that. But definitely like there are times where – I think, oh, shit, am I going too far down this path? Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, why didn't I just spend a bit more over there and that would have been, it would have been great to go to that event or or whatever it is, but it Mm -hmm. will sometimes hold me back to be like, oh, nah, because I've got other things going on, so let's just put some more money into an investment instead. Yeah. So money personalities are really interesting because what comes up there is your prime, Mm -hmm. and we always have a secondary. Yeah. Sometimes we might hit a third. So the amassa is your key driver, but the way you then operate is kind of what's your secondary one, okay? Um, and from what you've just said, I'm wondering if your secondary one might be more the, the hoarder personality. Mm, uh, and the hoarder is the one who is does the analysis and yeah. loves the spreadsheets and, and is the one who, who will kind of pull you back a little bit. Mm. Um, so mine is also I'm a amassa. Um, and again, if I see a business owner who doesn't have a massa in either first or second, I'm kind of going, why are you in business? Yeah, and who yeah. is the amassa in your organization? Because if you don't have a massa in you, you don't have that drive to create and grow. So just put those, yeah. So yeah. You, I really want to see a massa in business owners. So amassas are quite often paired with either the hoarder personality, which is the more cautious, steady as you go. We've got a goal. Um, If it takes us a bit longer to get there, that's fine, which may well be you. Mm. I, on the other hand, I'm the amassa spender, and I go, I've got a goal. Uh, I'm not going to DIY it. Who can I find that can fast track me? Who can I bring in? Who's the expert? Who who does this? Ah, I'm renovating the bathroom. Okay, here's the plumber. Here's the builder. No, I am not going to do any of this myself. I'm not going to paint the walls. Where's the painter? Because I want to fast track and I will spend my way to the goals. Gotcha. So that's the amassa spender. And an amassa spender needs someone in their organization who's the hoarder to kind of help pair them back and challenge that thinking. The hoarder needs that kind of spender sometimes to give them a bit of a boot up the bum because you might be stuck in researching or you might be stuck too long in the DIY and things are just taking a little bit too long. So there is nothing right or wrong about any of these personalities. It's just how we happen to behave. So that's kind of the amassa hoarder spender type personality. The other two are kind of interesting, and I call them my little problem child, is someone who comes up with the avoider personality. Because the avoider personality is the one who doesn't want to look at the money. They are the ones who will delegate responsibility to someone else, whether they are the right person or not. And all they want to know is I can take my FPOST card and it will work. And sometimes they can completely delegate. And I work in the property relationship space and quite often it will be the partner and sadly the woman who goes, but honey, I trusted you. You were supposed to look after me and you're supposed to look after the money. How did we get into all this debt? Mm. And it will just be, well, you just signed things. You didn't support, you didn't challenge. You know, So the avoider is the one who really doesn't kind of want to know. 
Yeah. Or the other one is that they've got so much money it really doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the other side. And the last, the, the other one is is what we call the money monk. And the money monk is the one that comes historically. It's been like the root of all evil. So quite often there will be some religious background or family upbringing there, and they actively will push money away because they don't like it, they don't want it, and they want to get rid of it. Oh. Um, and sometimes to the point where they don't even look after themselves properly, they will push it away. More recently I'm finding when I ask people about the money monk, it's more about the social conscience. We want to know where our produce comes from. We mm. want to be very certain that we are spending consciously and we're making good decisions. We're not buying clothes that have come from a sweatshop in Vietnam and all of that sort of thing. So that is tends to be where the money monk is kind of moving a bit more towards that sort of aspect of it, more being very socially conscious about how they invest, how they save, and how they spend. So those are the kind of the key ones. Yeah. So like you say, there's no right or wrong. It's no. about understanding how you might be yeah. thinking about some things around money yeah. by better understanding your personality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I just want to make sure that I've got all of my questions here because <laughs> okay. I've definitely gone. Uh, <laughs> I did warn you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, from the clients that you work with, yeah, how do your clients get the best results? Like, what is Ooh. it about them? Um, it's actually well, it's actually recognizing that there are things that they need to look at and examine, and be prepared to do the work to do the change. Yeah. And so what yeah. do they do to change their beliefs, let's say? Because okay. that's a hard thing to... Well, uh, the hard part is actually recognising the beliefs that you've got. So I take yeah. them through a whole heap of series and we, we kind of drill down. We start with money personalities and then I drill down a little bit further and down a little bit further. And we write a lot of stories about money and things like that. And we dig into memories about money. And usually through that process, something will come up and they'll go, Ah, like the, like the client who, to her, it became so obvious. Oh, I'm not making money because I think I'm going to become a horrible person. Oh, gotcha. and, and once it becomes that obvious, like for me, as soon as I realized I had this belief, I could have what I wanted when I wanted, whether I could afford it or not, it was like, does that make sense? Well, no. So how do you change it? It was quite simple. I just stopped. Yeah. And so with beliefs, uh, that you can change them that quickly. It's the effect of identifying them that can take the time. And, of course, we have more than one. Mm. So you might unpack one of them and then something else happens. You go, okay, what else did I learn from that process? And we go back through and we go back through. Okay, what else did you learn from the story? Think about more, think about more. So it's really a, a digging down and digging deep in and going – what's actually going on here yeah. and, and digging into them. Because there's a lot of correlation between money and diet and food. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. yeah, same thing. Same, a lot of the same principles run alongside each other because we have very deep-rooted beliefs about self-esteem and diet and exercise and things like that. So it's the same process of unpacking it. And I'd imagine probably then closely tied with appearance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because of what brands we should be wearing and all that sort of shit yeah. and the filters on social media and that's right. Yeah. yeah. Keeping up the Joneses is just oh. incredible. Yeah. Who's Jones anyway? I've never I worked know. that out. <laughs> and there was this really cool book I wrote. Uh, I read a few years ago. It's in one of my blogs, and it was in, in set in the UK and it was a murder. Blah, blah, blah. And anyway, everyone was trying to keep up with the Joneses, and then it, right towards the end, it's like. 
we were keeping up the Joneses. We just didn't know the Joneses were broke as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's the danger. You don't know because yeah. you don't know how much debt your neighbours got. And is that new car leased or is it owned or, yeah. you know, are they, you know, is the TV on HP or, you know, Afterpay or have yeah. they paid cash for it? So we think we need to have what everybody else has. But do we really? Mm, yeah, yeah, I often say to clients, visibility is a fake metric for success because they mm -hmm. might come in and they've seen their competitor doing this and um, and they're so busy and we've got hardly any work. So clearly yeah. like that's what's working. And I'm like, cool, what do they charge? Oh, d don't I don't know. know. And yeah. I'm like, well, how do you know that they don't, they're barely not making any money? And the reason they've got so much work is because they, it's so cheap yeah. and it's not sustainable. And I'm yeah. like, Nah, they wouldn't be doing it if it was in. I'm like, well, why don't we go get the data? I'm like, yeah. why don't we go through their process and figure it out? Yeah. Oh, now nah, let's just do this. I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask those types of people who say things like easy for you to say, like the dismissive type people, mm -hmm. and the I'll never have that. There's no point in trying. Yeah. Um. What What's the advice for those types of people? I don't think those types of people are listening to this podcast, but no. they bump into family members and things like that that yeah. say those things. Yeah. And again, that's you know, that's the locus of control, isn't it? I could never do this. I can't I, I don't see how all of that kind of languaging, mm. because it's, a lot of it is around the language that we use. Um, but again, I think sometimes that's a bit of an excuse because they may not actually want to change. Yeah. It's not necessarily that they don't, they actually don't want to. Because this is the biggest thing that you notice is when you, know, you work with clients and they start to change and they start to grow and their behaviours around money change, the biggest pressure comes from those who are close to them. Because all of a sudden a spotlight's shining on the friends who are still sitting on the couch eating potato chips, gaining weight while you're out running and losing weight. So that change back pressure happens exactly the same when people start to change their money behaviours and their money beliefs and things start to change and they start to go, well, actually, no, we're not going to go out to dinner tonight because that's not in our money plan. We're doing this instead. And they go, why aren't you coming out for dinner to us? What are you doing? What's going on? You know, and they can get quite angry. Yeah. So I always have to say to clients, you've got to be careful because those nearest and dearest to you are the ones who will push back the hardest. Yeah. So sometimes those people who are having those conversations, it's simply an excuse because they actually they don't want to. Because when they really want to, that's when they'll actually start to take some action. And the first thing they start doing is doing a little bit of research. So there's the trans-theoretical model of behaviour, and that's how you start going around this cycle of going, no, 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 oh, maybe, and I'll, oh, I'll read this, and then they start to get right through, and then they start to make some change. Yeah. But you can't force that. Yeah. You, you can't force a person to get off a couch and go for a run. You can't force someone to start to change their money behaviour. You have to give them a little tidbit that excites them and interests them. And then they start to think, oh, maybe I can do this. Yeah. Creatives are, are, are the most interesting because, you know, creatives have the stereotype that we're hopeless with money. Mm. I've had the best results with creatives. Yeah. Because once you actually dial them into it and they go, I can do this. It's yeah. like, wow, I can actually do this. And yeah. I, I find a lot of those people as well, they tell themselves like, oh, I'm not very good with money. And yes. it gives them the excuse to, to not, not do it. Yeah. yeah. But then if you give them a little bit of knowledge, I think they realize, oh, this isn't as hard as what I thought it was going to be. That's right. Yeah. 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 We should be doing more of these projects and less of those ones. Or yeah. that doesn't make as much sense now that you explain it that way. Yeah. 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 And then they're off, off and gone. Yeah. They're in the right yeah, direction. That's right. So, you know, because we get, we do get 
caught up in our own stereotypes and gender and all of that sort of thing of what yeah. we should and shouldn't be doing and what we should and shouldn't know. Yeah. 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 Well, fascinating uh, initial <laughs> dive into some of these things, Linda. Um, in the part two, we're going to look at some things around relationships, everybody's favourites. Yeah. I actually did a podcast with my partner where we sat down and we talked about our um, differences in and how we look at money and things like that, even down to as little as she'll be buying a new tube of toothpaste before we've even finished the first. And I'm like, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> That's this the order coming out. Yeah. I'm like, come on. I'm like, why are you on to the new one? I'm still trying to get the rest out of the first one. And that's been one of the most listened to podcasts. So I'm sure we'll be able to, uh, instead of me and her just arguing, what that podcast was, we'll be able to explore some of these things. But Sounds yeah, good. Thank you um, for your, your insight there. And I think if people want to do the personality test for instance they can yep. they can do that yes just jump onto the website it's there on the homepage, moneymentalist.com um, and you can get your results and uh, and then go from there and if you're in a relationship definitely both of you do it yeah. because you'll get some quite good insight as to how you sort of fit together yeah okay yeah. well in the second episode we'll look at how to maybe bring some of those things up with your yep. partner because those can be very challenging too they can indeed yeah. yes alright yeah. we'll bring that on <laughs>